electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, as Bitcoin climbs back, it's reaching a key level that's got our crypto baller, Brian Kelly, pounding the table. He will join us to break it down. Plus, from crypto to cannabis, it is Weed Week here on Fast Money, and a top Wall Street analyst says pot could be a major buzzkill for one group of stocks. Vivian Azer of Cowan will be here to explain. But first, we start off with the big story of the day, and that would be Apple, the tech giant sinking 3%, as chipmaker Taiwan Semi, one of its key customers, warned about the high-end smartphone maker, and the warning heard around the world quickly gained steam into a full-blown shipwreck. <laughs> shipwreck, trying to get it. Names like NVIDIA, Texas Instruments, Micron Advanced Micro Devices, all in correction or bear market territory, down 10% or more from their highs. So just how bad could this get for chips, and are the chips a canary in the coal mine of sorts for the rest of tech? Pete. You know, I suppose they could. I'm not going to go that far just yet. I mean, we just got this report and Taiwan Semi, actually, when you look at their Q2, that was going to be up 10 or 12 percent year over year. So, yes, it's underneath what the estimates were, but I think there's a little bit of an overreach there. The other thing is they talked, obviously, about Apple and, and or everybody's brought up Apple and how dependent they are. That is something that it does make you scratch your head. You know, maybe there's a little bit more of a concern than I normally would have in terms of the phone itself and what they're doing maybe in the Asian market specifically because China is such a growth area for them. Is that something that's slowed down more than maybe I'm perceiving it or others are perceiving it to be? That all being said, with Micron being down 5% and they have less than 10% exposure to Apple, that made me look at Micron today and I said to myself, you know what? This is an opportunity. This stock has sold off far too much. You so stepped quick. in. And I already owned Micron, but I actually stepped in yeah. and bought more. So I added to Micron. I added today with calls. I already had Intel. That's another one. I think the exposure level that Intel has presently is so minimal, it's well under 10%, and yet that stock was off 25 or 3%. I would disagree so. with you on Micron because if you look at the chart on DRAM, it's DRAM dependent. DRAM just True. rolled over in March. That's where you saw the stock roll over. It's also dependent on NAND. NAND has been rolling over since November. Yep. You so I agree, I agree with Intel. I, I think that's a better play. But if I'm playing the chips, it's NVIDIA. Internet of Things, gaming, I think the car, I think the connected home. Those are things that you want to buy. And those are things I think I mean, that are insulated a, somewhat. Let me just push back on it a little. Sure. If this space is rolling over somewhat, that's such a momentum high flyer, NVIDIA. It feels like to me there would be more downside if there was sort of a, you know, Exodus. Sure. I think I think that you've seen some technology roll over already. And if you look at the chart, the chart is still intact. But I totally agree that if this is going to be, if you look at the semiconductor index, if you look at the socks, these are levels back from the tech bubble pop. So we've rallied all the way up. So if you're going to be doom and gloom, the world is ending and then everything is going to be dragged down. I would say the last thing they take out is NVIDIA. Except for the fact yeah. that, well, 
I kind of agree with Karen on this. I mean, I, I do think that the high multiple stocks were the ones in the last pullback that were under the most pressure. And if I look at the SOX or if I look at the, the SMH, which is the ETF you can trade to play the semis, I mean, that's as, as vulnerable as any stock I can look at on a sector basis. It's, it's underperforming um, industrials. It's underperforming some of the consumer staples. I mean, that is getting close to a test of the 200-day, which it did back in kind of the second week of February when markets test their lows. It proved to be a great place to, to trade these stocks and buy them. Like you guys, though, I do think that Intel is, is first, the best combination of diversity. Uh, their data center business, we know all about that is growing and the valuation makes sense. But I don't think you have to jump into chips tomorrow and say, hey, this is a great buying opportunity. Well, so we all agree on Intel, which yeah. means, of course, you know, April 26th or whenever they report it's <laughs> going to be a disaster. Tough. But we all agree on that. This That's morning I sold Apple. I didn't love that Taiwan Semi News. I really had bought it for a trade. And it worked out generally. And, and so, you know, I'm not so optimistic on the 10, which is not news, right? right. But um, so was the trade, so I'm out. But Intel, I, would, I was not at all considering selling Intel on the same news. Right, right, right. Um, I'm curious, Pete, how much of a, of a takeout premium do you think still exists in some of these semiconductor names? Well, I think there's, there's going to be more of that M&A going on. So I, th I think it's some of the names, you know, some of the lower end names that, uh -huh. that maybe we don't talk about nearly as much, you know, the Cypress Semi and some of these d various names that I think there is possibilities that we could see some of that. And if they get punished too much, I think that will be the opportunity for those that have the cash Maybe an Intel who's been very aggressive right. over the last few years, some huge acquisitions. I asked you that question because of Qualcomm and XPI oh, and what's man. going yes. on in yeah. China. I mean, for China to say very that right. the application is not enough and to potentially throw up the roadblocks for two non-Chinese companies to merge, that's sort of a game-changing right, thing for the sector. Yeah, in fact, there's, there is some takeover bid in a lot of these stocks. And this really, you know, almost tells you what are we going to need to do to get this done. I, look, in, in Qualcomm's case also, the, the, the take it private is the other part of this. That's not putting a bid under the stock. You're back to a question where people are wondering about their margins because their royalties, uh, snafus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I have to tell you, I've liked Qualcomm 15, 20 percent higher. So I have to tell you, I still think it's very interesting here. And I think they're going to get through this. Yeah. I think all these are getting interesting in price. Qualcomm specifically is going back to the 2017 fall price where you're going to get a little bit of support in the name. But the NXPI, who I was universe, the street was universally bullish. I was bullish on this name. Yeah. This is shocking to me to see this underperform and, and outperform right. to the downside. Well, it used to be NXPI. There was no downside. You either got the 110, then they ended up bumping. Remember, because Elliot right. wouldn't accept it. 127.50 now. It's 20 bucks higher than here. I mean, but it's so full of risk. You know, this delay till July, they extended their tender right. up to July. That's a lot of risk between now and, and July. Yeah. yeah. But in terms, of, in terms of semiconductors and what it may mean for technology, I mean, if you think semiconductor equipment stocks in particular are really seen as very, very cyclical, right? We've yep. gotten a couple of data points in the past couple of days. ASML traded terribly off its earnings. I mean, does this not signal something bigger that you should be worried about potentially? Well, I don't know, because, because again, we've talked about how this whole group priced in so much, you know, endorsement of what's going on globally. I, I do think that the investment in enterprise and, and a lot of the dynamics that were driving the, the, the underlying ship purchases purchases are still very much in place. You know, again, I look at some of these stocks, 52 bucks on Qualcomm. I mean, this gets you back to a level on the stock that we didn't think we'd see. And I think in some cases you look at relative value and I think it's... Is the management good it, enough at Qualcomm? <clears throat> I mean, I, I, think, I say that because this is a company that how many years now have we looked at this and said, and I think universally, 
throughout the market, people say, you know, the stock is too cheap. I remember it was too cheap when it was 75 bucks. Yep. Sure. I mean, so I think that's part of the problem there. I think that's why we've seen so many activists step in and try to make some moves. The management there. is part of the Within problem. Within the, the yes, absolutely. So, so, and so maybe to answer your question, Pete's yeah. helping me answer that question. I mean, I think you have stock-specific stories that are weighing down the sector sure. specifically. You've got a name like Intel, which is seen as great management and and very well diversified across the sector, and it's holding up. Um, so you remove some of the the takeover fallout, and I would say the chips, I don't think they're an indictment of the global economy. Okay. Our next guest says, despite the chip wreck today, there is one hot chip stock to buy right now. Let's go off the charts with Jeff DeGraff of Renaissance Capital Research. Hi, Jeff. What are you looking at? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about Apple. Um, you know, you've got uh, a stock who's been unable to get through its old highs. Clearly, that's something that we'd want to see to confirm the uptrend. The good news here is you really haven't seen a deterioration in relative performance. Historically, you'll start to see the deterioration in relative performance before these things start to roll over. Not always, but it's a pretty good litmus test for how strong the name is. I still think Apple holds in. I still think it's uh, in relatively good shape. The, the SMH, the overall semiconductor index, is certainly at a, uh, an interesting point where you've got some winners and losers. You've got a lot more bifurcation than you've had recently. Um, you made a, a new high here, which is good news. That was not confirmed by the relative strength. It was about in line, but it was not confirmed. Uh, we haven't broken down yet. Uh, and really what we're seeing is it's all about the individual charts. And I think that's what we, we, we really want to highlight are the individual charts. A name like uh, AMD clearly in a downtrend. The relative performance line looks like this. This is one we'd stay away from. It looks bad. I continue to believe it will suffer. It'll be a relative <laughs> strength uh, laggard. However, if you look at a name like Intel, which I know the panel's talking about, that's a great name. This is a three-year chart. If you have the ability to look at a 20-year chart, it's even better. Um, this is a very strong name. The relative performance is improving. It looks fantastic to us. We'd be a buyer of Intel. We'd be a seller of AMD. All right. Jeff, great to see you. Thanks for your time. Thank Jeff you. DeGraff, Renaissance Capital Research. Um, let's trade this on the desk. Everybody uh, here has already said that the they choir. like Intel. So <laughs> Jeff is confirming what we've already said here. But um, in terms of Apple, Karen, you sold today. Right. And, and even, if, even if the chip wreck is not necessarily an indictment of the global economy, even if we lost Apple, that means a lot to this rally or to the well, Yes, I think if we lost Intel, rally. that would be worse. I think it's bigger. That would be much really? bigger. Well, I mean, to the chips, yeah. I mean, that quarter, the first quarter was so phenomenal. But to tech, to, to, to tech and, and its leadership I, you know, role in the market? I, tell you I don't think to Google, when you think of tech, I don't think it would be, uh, you know, to, to Alphabet. I don't think to Amazon. But uh, that would be more telling to me. I don't know. I, I, well, I think Apple has been a, a defensive story in, in, in the last two and a half months of market, call it, you know, volatility. And, and I think it will continue to be because I think the valuation is still very defensive here. I think what they can do with a tax deal, with their uh, capital markets uh, flexibility, is prevent, provide a, a lot of downside protection to the stock, frankly. And I think it's going to continue to be supportive. Uh, to, this to is that, a pullback a lot of people should want to see. To that point, it had a lot of cover with the Facebook, with the social media angle, with the negativity in the overall market. And when you look at Apple, all that news is already out there about uh, lower sales than you uh, had expected, that ramp up. I have friends that are still in the iPhone 6. So maybe there wasn't a big urge or big uh, reason to upgrade. Guy's in the iPhone 1. <laughs> it's a rough <laughs> one. It's an iPhone. He's not even made it. I know they made a flip they, they iPhone. iPhone. That's right. So I do think uh, the, the worst days for Apple are behind it. And I do like the way it's actually been reacting on a, tech, uh, a technical basis. I think that you guys still own it. I think you could still own Apple. And you probably 
probably still buy it around these levels. Yeah, generally, I, I, I like Apple here, and I, I always look for any opportunities. I don't think it's enough of a pullback, quite frankly, off the highs. I mean, 179 to 173, right. I don't know if that's enough. What I really find intriguing about Apple, though, is everybody still talks about the phone. And yes, I understand what the percentage is. It's not just services anymore, add in wearables. And when you add those two together, those are companies that would be in the Fortune 100 together, each. So I think that's the reason why I look at Apple. I still don't, I don't think it's defensive. I think Apple, you could be very aggressive because of the fact that there are so many different levers that they can pull to go actually a lot higher than they are. All right, coming up, we are going yield hunting. Yes, that's right. Yes. It's like duck hunting, but not quite as messy. Uh, as rates rise, the traders will tell us which dividends are starting to look attractive. Plus, crypto investors are in a frenzy as Bitcoin reaches a key level that could determine its fate for the rest of the year. Brian Kelly is making a special appearance to break it all down. And later, Karen Feinerman's last pitch hit it out of the park, and now she's got another big name, she says. It's about to break out. She'll give us her fast pitch. We're live in Times Square's New York City. We've got much more fast money right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bond yields surging today. The 10-year above 2.9%, sitting at its highest in almost a month. And that is wreaking havoc among a number of rate-sensitive stocks, breaking it down as a man who is never too sensitive. Dom Chu. Well, it takes a lot more than some rising rate fears to crush me, Melissa. But today's price action did leave some of the defensive sectors with some wounds to lick. And rates had a big part in that whole part of the market story. So two interest rate sensitive sectors took the bulk of the beating today. You got consumer staples and real estate. We saw that play out today as well. Of course, there are some company and industry specific reasons why consumer staples did underperform. You've got broad weakness in the tobacco stocks on the heels of Philip Morris's earnings report and consumer concerns over lower growth in some key markets. Same kinds of some growth concerns there with Procter & Gamble results. Uh, on the flip side, you got rising rates and a pause in the flattening of the yield curve, at least for now. And it was great for many of those banks, especially the regional ones like KeyCorp, BB&T and SunTrust as well. The financial sector in the S&P was an upside standout in an otherwise down market. So are rates headed higher? That's going to be a key medium to longer term question as we get back towards those recent highs in the 10-year yield that we saw in the second half of February, Melissa. And what does that mean for all of these interest rate proxies? That'll be a big one. Back over to you. It will be. Thanks, Dom. Dom, you in the newsroom. Well, with the rally in rates, could this be the perfect time to go yield hunting, where the traders tell you which dividends are looking attractive, which are not. <laughs> so, Pete, we're going to start off with you. Would you buy right now Philip Morris, which yields 5%? No. <laughs> it had its worst day in 2008. Maybe it had well a today. flush. I know. Very nice, you know, nice job, I, Pete. I try to play by the rules that Mel puts out there for us. I'll tell you why I don't like it. Right now, whenever I go and have a pitch stock out there for you guys, I always start with management. I talk about growth and all the rest of it. Management's done a poor job. I think the growth was addressed already by Dom, which is almost non-existent. I mean, I think there's only one part of Asia where they're really seeing any kind of real growth. Mm -hmm. So I think these are all problems. That yield will go higher because I think the stock's going lower. You know, I actually disagree. I mean, okay. I, I, but I've been invested in tobacco, and it was a very good friend through kind of July of last year. The FDA steps in and knocked down a lot of these guys. And let's face it, Philip Morris is, is the largest bear in the woods when it comes to tobacco stocks. I think Europe and Asia are going to continue to grow. I actually would be a buyer this I week. think they're yeah. slowing. I totally disagree. So we are on the opposite side of that because I look at this and I think, 
with all the regulation, with all the tax, with everything that's going on here, I think the Where Europeans are going to be that much stronger. Well, Japan was plateauing, uh -huh. they said. And, but their volume declines overall in cigarettes, <laughs> but, but, according to PM. And, but that's been slowly happening. That will continue to happen. Uh -huh. You should be, you should be impressed by the market. But look, at the, their EPS was higher, um, and I think their margin compression fears were things can that were somewhat dispelled. I think guidance game? for 2020 wow. was conservative. Can I embed a game within this duck hunt yield hunting You are the boss, Mel. You're in charge. Altria or Philip Morris, domestic smoking or international smoking? Well, Altria, because that is a diverse business. You also have exposure to Sab Miller. This is a, I think, a cash flow machine. And again, if I would really well, push down, back on Pete if he fought that one. One's right. down 18%, one's down 19%. So I think it's pick your poison, literally. This is an existential question. They have to transition into smokeless tobacco. Oh, they did that a long time. Come on, guys. Are we talking about tobacco companies now? People aren't smoking anymore? No, I'm talking about the chart. talking about this five the chart, years ago. The chart looks like no one's smoking anymore. Look at the chart. That's not why the stock sold off today. It, it, it's an existential question. It's not about rates. You can't say this is about rates. You can chart it, and the, the only one that makes sense is Procter & Gamble. That's a rate issue. This is not a rate issue. Well, let's talk this about is that. a life, life anyway, issue. Anyway, we're going to move on. Let's do it. Yeah, there's a lot of Verizon, people that need to play yeah. the game. There are, you know, there are a lot of names that we want to go through. Verizon, Grosso, I pose this one to you. You just under 5%. Yeah, I don't think the, the problem is I don't think you should ever buy something based on yield. Because if you look at what it's done year to date, it's down 8.5%. Okay. But would you buy this stock? No. No, you would not buy this stock. It's underperformed the S&P for the last three years by basically, by basically 30%. What is this duck here? Does that yeah. mean that you're not going to buy the stock, or does that oh, mean that you're going to buy the stock? I don't, stock? Know. I don't really understand. Are we shooting on one? Because if he's not going to buy it, that duck should go down. <laughs> it shouldn't be flying. <laughs> Maybe no, it's I, shot. What's we should have shot that duck down. It's still in midair. Can I try to explain what's going on here? The duck is flying if it's not shot down. Oh, Steve shot it down. There you go. There's a bullseye. That's it. I don't know That's what's it. going on. I'm not buying it. But he is not buying it. Not I don't care what the graphics it. say so the or make convey, down. but he is not buying it. Is anybody else buying Verizon? Absolutely not. No. no. <laughs> You're going to shoot that down, too. I'm shooting that down, and I'm with you. And I've never, ever picked a stock based upon the, the dividend yield. That's just a bonus on top. All right. Let's move on. Karen. Yes. Would you buy BP, which yields 5.5%? Oh, very reluctantly. I guess I would. <laughs> I mean, if you, you really have to, you know, have a feeling on oil being flat. or That was a would. Guys, I don't know what. Maybe the graphics. I, I guess that means that you was would the duck buy. Where's the duck? Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I thought that would be the duck because the duck is flying. I'll tell you one game we're not playing again. <laughs> <laughs> but Karen is buying BP. Uh, yeah. Oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. That's a pheasant, yeah. by the way. It's not a duck. 100% with her. I, I prefer right. Exxon. I prefer Conoco. I prefer other names. But I think BP is just as very close to as good as some of those names. Let's go to this one that was mentioned earlier in this discussion. Procter & Gamble, mm -hmm. dividend yield just under 4%. Tim, you buy it or not? Absolutely not. I, absolutely not. I, wherever that duck is, I want to shoot it down because I don't like it. <laughs> no, no, it. no. That means like... that he's buying it. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Bye-bye. <laughs> no duck. Um, look, bottom line is this stock's still not expensive. Um, there's been a... There's been a an activist bid to the stock for, for a couple of years, Nelson Peltz and Co. Um, I, I think Procter & Gamble is a company that's struggling in the consumer product environment where there's still actually deflationary forces. Yeah. Um, so, no, I don't buy it for the yield. And like Steve said, I don't necessarily buy stocks for yield. But I mean, they had to cut do. their whole Gillette razor business right last year. The price is across the board, and they're not getting any traction whatsoever so right. far. I mean... Does anybody, do you buy, do you buy, do you go to the Walgreens not, across yeah, the street, yeah, ask them to unlock the, unlock the display so you can buy your razors? No. Why, are, why, are, why are razor blades locked up these days? Because they're so expensive. Are they, they making that much dough on they get stolen. 
Let me just make an interesting point on the philosophy of buying for a dividend, which I think we're all against because it just doesn't make any sense. A couple of years ago, you could have bought the stalwart GE, right, for about a 3.5-ish percent dividend. It would have looked nice. Would have looked nice. Stock was 26. Interestingly, you can buy GE for about a 3.4 percent dividend Hmm. right now. However, the stock's 14, and the dividend is half as much. I mean, in one day, you could so easily lose that whole dividend play. You're foregoing, you're, you're taking on all those other risks in a stock right. just for that dividend. So, it does make sense. An example that, that had kind of a, a GE feel to it was Macy's, right? People didn't think they were going to hold that dividend down. They've been paying that dividend. Macy's is a name with a 5-plus percent dividend that I think I can buy. Uh, but the MLPs in the oil and gas sector, uh, and, I, you know, and I know that sector pretty well. I sit on the board of one of them. Um, I, you know, look at the investment that's going on in this space. A lot of these guys are running cash flow somewhat neutral. Oil's going higher. Take a look at those big yields. All right, coming up, one beaten down retailer is in bear market territory, but Karen Feinerman here says the stock is about to break out. She will step up to the plate to make her case. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Maybe say the moon. Yeah, you can say the moon, because that's what crypto baller BK says Bitcoin will do if it can pass one key level. He'll tell us what that is. Plus, Weed Week is heating up. And we've got a top analyst who says cannabis could be bigger than beer. And she'll tell you how to cash in when Fast Money returns. Back to Fast Money, the crypto universe coming back with a vengeance this month. Check out some of the biggest coins in the space surging. Ripple up 50 percent. Ethereum and Bitcoin Cash up more than 40 percent. And Litecoin and Bitcoin are up around 20 percent. This, as the total crypto market cap hits a four-week high, now back above $350 billion. And our own crypto baller BK here says Bitcoin is now testing a key technical level. He's over at the Plasma with a special crypto class. Hi, Beeks. Hey, how are you? Yes, so we're having a big week here. Obviously, a lot of nice bounce off the bottom. So let's see what's driving it here and then what we should look for over the next couple weeks. Number one, tax selling. That's over. If you haven't paid your taxes by now, you're in trouble. Number two, number of transactions increasing. I was here last week. You asked me, what is the single thing that we need to see to have this rally continue? We need to see transactions on the Bitcoin network increasing. That's beginning to happen. That's the fundamental support we need. And then number two, there's a fair amount of cash on the sidelines. Funds that I talk to have a fair amount of cash. They don't have as much Bitcoin. So we need some sort of catalyst to break us out of this and to get that cash out. So let's take a look at the chart and see what we've got here. So taking a look at the chart, this is a log chart. In Bitcoin, people use a log chart, log on the scale, because the big moves, this kind of normalizes the big moves. So log chart, since June, you see we have this big run up here, okay? Right to the top, that peak was 19,000. Now we have a downtrend. You can see how the downtrend there, very well defined, as Carter Worth would say. And look at where we are right now. Whoop, there's a nice arrow right there. Well, maybe it's not. Look at where we are right now, right on the trend line. That's about 8,500. So if we can break this trend line this week with all this fundamental support, tax selling God, cash on the sidelines, number of transactions increasing, we're going to turn that arrow upside down. And I think we go higher if we can break out. Should we invite BK over? Well, of Ooh, course. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, come yes. on over, BK. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
bring the chair in. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> you were nervous you weren't going to ask you back over. You were nervous. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a scary place to be at. It really um, is. And I don't usually sit over Welcome back. <laughs> Not too long ago, you were pitching Bitcoin Cash as an opportunity. It's gone up. What do we do? I think you hold on to it. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, the, the entire space has gone up here. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, if you, if you think about it this way, one of my friends was saying, if you got Bitcoin Cash this year for free, which you did in a fork, and you had to raise some money for taxes, you'd probably sell Bitcoin Cash and keep your Bitcoin. So it was probably the most susceptible to tax selling. And so now I think you're seeing that kind of beach ball under the water popping up. So, BK, when you look at Bitcoin or you look at the, uh, the, the currencies, when you play blockchain, what's the best way to play blockchain off of, off of this? Because that's what's going to stick around, whether or not you pick the right currency. Blockchain yeah. will always be there. I think everyone agrees on that. Yeah, so there, there are a couple equity plays that you can do, enterprise blockchain. Um, IBM isn't a pure play, but they have, you know, that's one way to play it. Um, I certainly think, you know, if you want to kind of play the adoption of Bitcoin, Square is another way to do it. They, they, know, they mentioned in there. Say that uh, one again. Square. Okay. <laughs> You've heard yeah. of it, right? Yeah. I think you bought it at one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think there are different ways to play it. The other way you can play it, again, are through the chip. Uh, companies, and that's for the mining of this whole thing. Brian, when you're talking to institutions, though, it, it seems like the altcoins have outperformed the, the, the mega caps in Bitcoin. It's all relative. Um, what, do, what do institutions want to do here? Because, you know, clearly the wave we saw in November and December was altcoins were massively outperforming because everyone wanted to kind of roll down the curve. Yeah. What's going on now? Yeah, so you, it's, it's, it's a good point, Tim, because what you're seeing is this rotation. Bitcoin is somewhat stuck here, but you're seeing some other high-quality coins, Ethereum, EOS, some of the larger cap coins getting a bid here. And I think we're going to see this year a real divergence in quality. You're going to see maybe 10 different coins that are going to really get all the money, and then the other 1,000 or so are going to go to zero. Got a real quick question for you. Of the chip names, since we started off the night with Chipwrecked, yeah. tell me the chips that have the biggest, best exposure in this Taiwan world. Semi. Even though they had TSM, yeah, right. TSM. Even though they had, they got killed on smartphones today. Tyler, here's so Nvidia, AMD. Those are two ways to play it. Right. But Taiwan Semi makes the ASICs, the application-specific integrated circuits. You knew that, right? right? They course. make the ASICs that the mine that all the big miners use, and that's the best way to play it, in cool. my view. Awesome. All right, Beeks, good to see you. Thanks yeah, for coming good in. Good to be here. BK, <laughs> our resident crypto baller. Yeah. Well, from crypto to cannabis. Pot stocks have been smoking hot over the last oh, year. Oh, nice. Yeah. One Wall Street analyst says it's about to be a major buzzkill for a different industry. She'll be here to tell us what that is. Plus, Karen is stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch the one sinking stock she yeah. says is about to make a major Whoa. turnaround. Find out what has her so bullish when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Time for an instant replay. Now, back in December, Karen said Golar was going to break out. This is the top for oil. It traded down with oil. It really shouldn't have. It's not so much of an oil story. And here we are right here, but so much progress has been made. And we are at an inflection point with Catalyst. Great management team. It's a big position for me. Golar. It was a great call. Golar shares are up 17% since then. So what now, Karen? I'm hanging on to Golar. I think there's still, I mean, a lot of Catalyst actually today, a couple of pieces of good news. And I think there's more to come. Another big project announced today. So I think it's worth hanging on to right here. All right. Well, Karen's got the hot hands. So why don't you head over to the bar right. and give us your next pitch, Karen? Okie dokie. 
heading over. We saw an absolute bloodbath today in the home builder space, but I actually think that creates a pretty good opportunity. So for me, today's fast pitch is, there we go, Lowe's. All right, so why do I like Lowe's? First of all, I always look at valuation. That's always gonna be one of the most important things to me. So let's look at the valuation here. And if we look over the last year, if there were a chart here, here we go. PE, something I care about, and stock price. So we've had, in the last couple of months, stock prices come in a lot. The PE has come down a lot. It's below the market here. And I think there's a couple of things that could go right here. And today's sell-off, I think, creates an extra opportunity. What else I like about it is we have a couple of things that the company can fix themselves. They, they're going to be able to increase their margins, I think. One of the things they have to do a little bit better is logistic fulfillment, and they're going to have a new distribution center that's going to help them do that. In addition, I think they need to have more associates on the floor helping people. That's been an obvious complaint, and that's an easy problem that they can address. This is the company with tremendous resources. These are problems that they can fix. The last thing I like about it, a new management, a new board. We know the CEO has said he's going to step down. They are searching for a new CEO. I think a company this size could be a tremendous opportunity. They're going to get somebody great. I really believe that. And then we have one of my favorite board members, corporate board members ever, David Batchelder, who was from D.E. Shaw's activist push here. And there were a couple other board members. But David Batchelder, I think, is one of the clearest thinking, long-term thinkers. Also, he has tremendous experience in the space, having been at Home Depot. So I like that there's a shakeup here. So I think there's a number of catalysts. Put them all together, and at this price, I like Lowe's. Karen, I got a quick question for you. All right. I own both Lowe's and Home Depot. You and I were talking about these particular stocks, actually, just when we did the closing bell hit. Question yep. is this, e-commerce, is Lowe's doing enough, or is that something that you feel they really need to press forward when they do find the next CEO? They absolutely need to press forward. They know they're a little behind. They are working on it. I, it's not in any way that I think of being short Home Depot because Home Depot has done an outstanding job. I just think Lowe's, it's a lot cheaper and it has a few catalysts that could give it an extra boost. Capon, riddle me this. Why does it trade down every time we're on a, a rates day? These, these shouldn't be interest rate sensitive. They stock. all do. Look at everything in the XHB today. The whole space traded down and I think it was, presents a good opportunity right here. All right, time now to vote. Are you buying Karen's pitch on Lowe's? Pete, what do you say? I own it. I like it. I'm buying it. All right. Grasso? I would say buy it. And to Tim's point, this shouldn't be a rates issue, but it is inversely correlated. I think it's a buying opportunity. Watch the 50-day moving average, 84, six, I'm sorry, 200-day, 84.69. Tim? I'm buying it. Wow. And I'm going there after work to pick up some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Good that? for you, Tim. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, clean sweep here. But the question is, are you at home buying Karen's pitch for Lowe's? Are you buying cough? Head to Twitter right now. Vote in our poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, it is Weed Week here on Fast Money. And top analyst Vivian Azar says marijuana is about to deal a major blow to the beer industry. She'll be here to explain when we come right back.
Welcome back to Fast Money and welcome back to Weed Week, the first cannabis-based drug passing its first hurdle to get approval from the FDA for the treatment of epilepsy. Our Meg Terrell joins us live with that story. Hi, Meg. Hey, Mel. Well, it's a medicine derived from the cannabis plant, but it doesn't produce the effects we associate with marijuana. The compound is called CBD, and its developer, GW Pharma, has been testing it for the treatment of seizures caused by rare childhood epilepsies. Now, the medicine was reviewed by a panel of outside advisors to the FDA this morning who voted 13 to 0 that it has a favorable benefit risk profile. Now, the FDA doesn't have to follow the panel's advice, but it often does. The regulator is scheduled to make a decision on whether to approve the medicine by the end of June, and a representative from the FDA said at the meeting today that the agency is working as fast as it can to complete the review. We spoke with the CEO of GW Pharma, Justin Gover, right after the panel vote today about the path to forge for what would be the country's first cannabis-derived medicine, including concerns about potential misuse. A good body of today's meeting was in fact focused on what is termed abuse potential of CBD. And it was clear both from our studies and from the FDA's review that the abuse potential was deemed to be low. Still, because of DEA scheduling, Gover said there would be about a three-month delay after approval, if it gets approved, for when the drug becomes available. In terms of side effects, the panel focused on potential liver safety, something that may require monitoring if it gets approved. Now, as for the medicine's financial prospects, Cowan pegs 2022 U.S. revenue at more than a billion dollars. Now, GW's stock today closed about flat, but that does follow a jump earlier in the week when the documents foreshadowing today's meeting were released. And, Mel, there's a lot of excitement among the patients who are waiting for this drug, severe epilepsies is a terrible condition. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell with that story. Tim, you actually own GW Pharma. Oh, and it was my final trailer. I said, look, this is such a big day for cannabinoid therapies. And I think what the CEO is also talking about is that the process for, for approval and the process for, for, for all the clinical trials is a very rigorous scientific process. And this is part of the victory here. This is why this is so exciting. And I, you know, it's going to be very clear if the FDA is on board, this is going to put different pressure on. But, you know, she started to talk about CBD versus THC. We don't have enough time to talk about this right now. We will do this on this show, I hope. Mm -hmm. but, but the bottom line is non-psychotropic parts of the cannabinoid chain are very, very powerful and working today. And that's why this is such a, an important topic for social causes. A lot of different pharma companies are actually looking into CBD. I mean, there are CBD receptors in lots of different parts of your body. And so in order to figure, I mean, this is for seizures, but there are other companies that are working, for instance, on pains associated with ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, Crohn's disease, exactly, Crohn's disease, that's um, arena. Not just epilepsy, mm -hmm. and Alzheimer's, you know, there's different places, and obviously the pain relief, the, the pushback on opioids, this is great. All right, our next guest says cannabis is a buzzkill for beer sales. She's brought the charts to prove it. Let's welcome Vivian Azer, senior analyst, accounting company specializing in beverages, cannabis, and tobacco. <laughs> Vivian. What exactly is going on? I feel like maybe people suspected this could happen, but you have proof. Yeah, so we've been covering the cannabis industry for about 18 months, and we currently think that the total industry in the U.S. is about $50 billion. It's just that a lot of it is going through the black market right now. Um, but the industry is gaining a lot of traction um, in terms of getting uh, consumer support here. Gallup would report that 64% of adults are in favor of legalizing adult-use cannabis. And you're seeing voters show up at the ballot box to vote on it. Mm -hmm. In terms of the impact on other products that you cover, I mean, beer is one. I mean, I 
it's interesting because you, you cover all these sectors that may actually have an impact if people pick up the use of cannabis increasingly. They may not smoke cigarettes as much or drink beer as much. Yeah, we view the interaction with alcohol as being kind of the, the most obvious to us as we think of these products as substitute social lubricants. Um, and so what we've done in our analysis is really look at the interaction between the two categories. We've been able to prove out that binge drinking rates, for instance, are significantly lower in states where consumers have access to adult-use cannabis significantly lower by mid-teens percentage points. Wow, unbelievable. Is this something that you see in the beginning stages and then you wind up people getting exposure to it and then people switch and you see a rebound effect? A correlation is not causation, but this you can't argue with the chart that you just showed. That, that is an inverse correlation. Is this something that we should look for to you know, putter out in, the, in, in a matter of months or years? Uh, no, I expect this to be a longer-term sustainable trend because the inverse correlation is actually the most obvious when you look at the government survey work for 18 to 25-year-olds. So you would expect that consumer waterfall to hold true. So if you have continued legalization, how much will that grow the cannabis market and therefore potentially decrease the beer or what other social lubricant you choose? Sure. So we've got a target for the U.S. market, assuming federal uh, legalization of the product, of $75 billion uh, by 2030. Um, we haven't sized the risk to alcohol, but we have been able to show in our survey work um, that about 80 percent of consumers do report some kind of reduction in alcohol consumption when they're also engaging in cannabis consumption. How do you um, view the valuations? How do you value these companies at this point? And at, is there sort of a, a tipping point at which uh, the use of cannabis get, becomes so widespread that there is price pressure um, or that production costs you know, must come down in order to make it viable? So our coverage is focused on the Canadian market, where the government is expected to expand to adult use just from medical use today, probably September or October of 2018. So we cover the two biggest companies in the sector. The first is Canopy Growth, and the second is MedRelief. Uh, to give the companies full credit for the market transition, which is going to happen in a step function uh, way, we're looking at fiscal three revenues. And in terms of price deflation, we're absolutely looking for that. Um, a lot of Canadian licensed producers are bringing on a lot of capacity, and so we're looking for about 8% annual price deflation at scale. Yeah. Top picks in the space, Vivian? Uh, canopy growth, ticker mm -hmm. is weed, and number two, med relief, ticker is leaf. Okay, Vivian, <laughs> thanks for coming by. <laughs> Vivian Azer of Cowan. Tim, you're so first of all, congrats to Vivian and the Cowan yeah. team, because they've been so far ahead, and they are kind of the institutional acts out there. And, and what I would say about what you just talked about with pricing, too, if you listen to these companies, brands matter, and, and they believe that there's going to be a place where this is a very sophisticated consumer product where they're going to hold their margins, and first mover advantage is very important. Um, the other thing that's really interesting here is that Constellation Brands has made, you know, we're talking about the substitution effect, has made a massive investment yeah. in Canopy. And so are they playing defense? Are they playing offense? I a mean, bit this both. Is, this is the thing. Yeah. They know what's going on. Who I do think they're playing offense. Well, and, and that was part of that? when I did the pitch on why Constellation, that? that was part of it because they'd, they'd made that move. I think it's a huge move. And... Obviously, the numbers bear out that she's the Vivian put up there that this is a replacement. That, I think the speed of this is going to uh -huh. surprise people. The velocity of it. so does that mean the beers are short? No. I, Can I you take a look at Bud? Beer, I mean, does that make you worry? They have a lot of other issues with beer too. We talk about microbreweries. How many years yeah. ago yes. on on on, you know, on this the show? So they have a lot of, of headwinds that are getting in the way of beer. This just seems to be the latest one. But I I do think that they are in for a little more selling. 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, I think the substitution effect um, of the social lubricants is, is very, very real. And think about the, the demographics involved. It, it's, you know, Gen X, Gen Z. I don't even know what Gen... It's <laughs> definitely not my Gen. Um, <laughs> as in, I, I just think that there's a lot of folks out there that that's the social lubricant they know, and that's what's yeah. going on. All right, our special coverage of Wee Wee comes to a close tomorrow on... 420, appropriately, yeah. with former Massachusetts Governor William Weld, who now sits on the board of a national cannabis company, Acreage Holdings, uh, with former House Speaker John Boehner. But Governor Weld will join us tomorrow. Still ahead, the ATT Time Warner trial underway this week with AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson taking the stand today. We'll bring you all the latest details from the ground in D.C. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in New York's Times Square. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson taking the stand earlier today, defending the company's proposed $85 billion merger with Time Warner in federal court. Hampton Pearson is at the courthouse where it all went down. He's got more on this developing story. Hampton. Well, uh, Randall Stevenson was in essence trying to be the defense, the AT&T Time Warner legal team's defense, and really their closer in trying to win government approval uh, from a judge overhearing this case. Uh, he couldn't, number one, too, after all day on the witness stand, very hastily departed uh, the courthouse, glad to be off the witness stand, but again, uh, very energetic in defending the merger, uh, both on direct and cross-examination. Uh, some of the highlights, he was asked repeatedly about government claims that post-merger, uh, this is a merger that will harm consumers. He said uh, several times, several ways, he's absolutely convinced this is going to drive greater consumer benefits. And at one point uh, saying, quote, the only lack of competition has been the delay in getting this merger to the marketplace. In answer to the DOJ claim that post-merger, the uh, merge company would have incentives to raise prices for Turner content to other distributors, he said, it's absurd. I don't follow the logic. Now, under cross-examination, the government did point out that AT&T has raised prices 5% per year over the last three years for consumers. Stevenson's answer was content costs have gone up. Also, uh, the government pointing out that in 2017, AT&T had a 7% increase in ad revenue and also still raised prices. The bottom line for the government, the government saying, despite all the increased competition for video distribution from the so-called fangs, being in the pay TV subscriber business with some 90 million subscribers nationwide is still a pretty good business to be in and still very profitable. Uh, we're winding down with the uh, trial going forward now. The government putting on rebuttal witnesses. Uh, we don't know yet when we'll actually get closing arguments. Back to you. All right, Hampton. Thank you, Hampton Pearson. So let's trade this because this obviously has a lot of implications if this deal goes through on what other media deals could go through or conversely, if it doesn't go through, what media deals may not even be put on the table at this point, Tim? Well, look, I, I think it's really tough to handicap this because uh, I think you can make a pretty strong argument why this deal should go through, uh, you know, but I don't sit on the DOJ side. If you think about AT&T, they've made some investment in their customers. Uh, their margins have actually gotten a little bit better. Uh, bottom line on this stock, though, is, is it got very expensive on the fact that it was a, it was a content play. Um, and if it's not, it's trading back to a norm. Obviously, for an environment where interest rates are pushing down on those stocks that are heavy yield stocks, this is another one. So um, I think it's very range bound. Um, you know, what we have learned is who has come forth uh, in terms of bidding for uh, some of Fox's assets. And that will hinge on whether or not this deal goes through. They rejected Comcast's 16 percent premium offer, 
even because of regulatory concerns, antitrust concerns specifically, if this deal goes through, could we see all of a sudden a renewed interest in these Maybe, assets? Possibly. I, I, I don't know why not. I mean, I, I would think that that would come up. I mean, I M&A, I think, has sort of slowed down, at least for now, and I would see an acceleration across multiple different categories, and obviously this one being maybe one of the biggest. Well, AT&T is facing another big test next week when it reports earnings. Options traders are betting the stock could come under pressure. Mike Coe is breaking it down from Austin. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so the options market's implying a move of about 3%, and compared to some high-flying tech stocks, that may not sound like much, but actually... Telecom stocks like AT&T don't typically move that much. This one typically moves about 2%. And we did see an interesting trade today as people were pressing and rolling some bearish bets, rolling some May 35 puts out to the June 35, 3,000 times they were buying those June 35 puts for $1.40. So those would be bearish bets that AT&T could fall below 35 by the $1.40 they paid or down about 5% in just about two months. And one other thing I would add is that the implied volatility and the realized volatility in this space is basically trading at a five-year high right now. Wow. Pete, I'm sure you noticed that. Yeah, there, the there's so much going on. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, as Mike points out, expecting a 2%, but now actually a 3% based upon some of that volatility. So it yeah. does show you that there's a lot of different things going on, and I think that there are so many different layers going on right now in that space that that's why we're seeing that elevated volatility. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe in Austin. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Lowe's is up nearly a percent Ooh, after Karen's fast pitch. But are you at home buying the stock? Find out when we come back. <laughs> Welcome back. You know what song is always playing whenever I walk into oh. Lowe's? Unbreak My Heart by uh, Tony Braxton, uh, of course. Uh, because, Karen, the Twitter fans are not uh, buying your pitch for Lowe's, even though the stock is moving higher in the after hours. You session. know what? I've had my heart broken a lot of times. It always it always heals. Very <laughs> <laughs> philosophical. It's a contrarian indicator sometimes. But sometimes, yeah, yeah that's true. Sometimes. The market is the final arbiter. It, it, okay. it is. Right? And it's, All right. it's rocking. Final trade time. Pete Najarian. Started off with chip wrecked. I'm sticking with the chips. Micron technology. Giddy up, big dogs. Steve Grasso. Big day for General Electric tomorrow. I am long. I got long today. I think Ooh. you have more to the upside. The worst is out of the way. Interesting. Karen. Well, if it's good enough for Tony Braxton, you know what? <laughs> it's good enough for me. All right? <laughs> Buying lows right here. Does that get a duck? Or a I don't know. <laughs> that should be spoken to them. Um, anyway. <laughs> well, so speaking of, look, I, Altria, MO. I mean, this is a stock that's been beaten up. I know cigarette volumes are going down. Margins are better. E-cigs and vapes, they're involved in this name. It's a nice dip. All right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.